Hi, everyone. You are listening to For Those We Lost. I'm your host, Jennifer Sullivan. Thank you for being here. If you've lost a loved one to COVID and would like to share your story on the show, please send me an email. My email address is for those we lost podcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to the website for those we lost podcast.com and click on the contact button and reach me that way as well. This show won't ever have a members area or episodes that you have to pay to listen to, but there are expenses to hosting a podcast. And if you'd like to help, you can support this show at buymeacoffee.com backslash for those we lost. In this show, people share their stories of losing a loved one to COVID. As the pandemic continues, many of us feel the weight of the world wanting to move on and the pain of our loss that holds us tight. For us, there is no avoiding the ever-present reminder that we lost a loved one to COVID. It is with us every day, everywhere. What you hear in each story is grief, sadness, and love. We will more than likely talk about the vaccine and maybe a little bit about politics, and you may not agree. But I hope you'll keep listening. I hope you'll stay to the end of each episode and realize that each person who openly shares here has experienced deep grief over the loss of a loved one. And that's something we will all experience. We all love someone. We will all lose someone we love and we will all grieve. These are the stories of those we lost to COVID. Thanks for being here with me today. I've got a wonderful show coming up for you. Today, I'll be talking to Joni in Arizona. Joni lost her son, Alexander Hansen Bain, on February 7th, 2020. He developed a cough and thought he might have the flu, and within a week of falling ill, he'd passed away. There were only early rumblings of coronavirus when Alex died, but Joni spoke to his doctors in hindsight points to COVID as his cause of death. She will never have all the answers, but Joni has found support in her faith and in the COVID community. Alex survived cancer as a child. And when you listen to this show, you can tell that Joni and Alex had a special bond. Also, Joni lost her mom just a few months before her son passed away. And Joni talks about the difference in the grief she feels for her mom and for Alex. For context, we recorded this episode on March 9th, 2022. Joni mentions her Instagram account where she posts about her grief journey. She also mentions the Rami's Heart COVID-19 Memorial and the In America Flags installation in Washington, DC. All those links are in the show notes below. And with that, I'd like to welcome Joni to the show. Thank you for being here with me today. I'm happy to be here. Good. I'm glad. So usually where I start is March of 2020, but I know that your story 
about your son, Alex, started uh, earlier than that. And so what I'd like you to do is start where you need to, to tell your story. I know it's back in February and talk about your son and just walk us into how it all started. Right. Well, thank you. Well, Alex is 29 years old and he was a bartender at one of our local Mexican restaurant places. It was right when we were just hearing snippets of COVID. We didn't think it was a threat to us. Um, There was not a lot of information about it. And Alex um, developed just upper respiratory, some fatigue, some cough. About a week before he passed, he was house sitting at his sister's house. They had come back from California and, you know, apparently COVID started on the West Coast, starting in Washington and working its way down. But I truly believe in my heart that we had COVID among us long before we ever really knew what it was. So he, um, I had another son that lived in Colorado Springs and he, his wife and two small children, and I had been making trips back and forth to there. And I was currently visiting them when I got a call from my son. And all he said to me was, Mom, I was, I'm was i a nurse. And then he said, are you at work? And I said, no, honey, what's going on? He said, well, I passed out at work and I'm at your hospital. And I said, how did you get there? Well, the ambulance brought me. I said, well, I'll send your dad. He said, what's going on? I got to talk to his nurse who turned out, which is, you know, this is sort of like a God thing. But the nurse that took care of him was the daughter-in-law of a longtime friend of mine. And I don't think she connected the dots either, but she talked to me and she said, we're checking him out. He's, he's a little tachycardic. We were ruling out a pulmonary embolus on him. His O2 sats were hovering and he was a little lot, in a lot of discomfort. So I sent his dad there. And then I worked very fervently to try to find a flight back home in the middle of the night. And unfortunately, Alex's cascade of symptoms just started snowballing. And by morning, which was approximately 16 hours later, he passed away. They had um, discovered that he had massive clotting in his lungs. And they were trying hard to retrieve those. They were afraid if they intubated him, they would lose him. He actually coded three times. Um, and they were talking about, well, I had begged him that we don't have that many. I live in Arizona. We don't have that many ECMO machines in our valley. So I think there were three available. And they had finally agreed to send a team to the hospital where he was at. And... Um, that was at nine o'clock they were to come and at nine sixteen he passed away. So well then piecing together, you know, we didn't think anything of it because his his autopsy report said he had you know, he had massive organ failure, which we knew. Mm-hmm. And then my husband and I were just watching the news because every day we learned a little bit more. Every day there were more numbers. Every day it would double and triple and quadruple in the amount of people that were sick and in the hospital. And then the clotting thing came up. And I turned to Alan and I said, I really think Alex had COVID. Mm -hmm. 
And then I, I thought, well, I'm going to talk to the hospitalist that took care of him. So I chatted with him, and he said, you know, we don't know a lot about it, but this was, this was a few months later. He said, but hindsight, it would make sense. There's nothing that they could have gone back and done to test him on it. And then he said, and then I got sick after caring for him. And also the ICU nurse that cared for him for the entire time also said that he and his wife had gotten sick after he'd cared for Alex. So I'm not sure. You know, it's just what I feel in my heart because even Alex was a cancer survivor. He had childhood cancer. Yeah. And can we talk about that? Yes. Can you go back and talk about Alex and what happened with him? Because I, I feel like it's really important in this story of what happened to him because he went very quickly. And I think if you relate some of that back to what he survived as a child, it, it puts it in context. Right. Right before Alex turned three, uh, he we had... I had taken him back. I was pregnant with his brother. I had taken him back to Ohio. That's where I was born and raised. And he was playing with another child. They were playing around and he took a tumble off of um, like a riding mower in their backyard that was not being used. And when he came home, he started complaining. Of course, he's not three yet, but his appetite was off. I had to make him sit there and try to force him to eat. And then he would have these episodes where he couldn't walk, where he, he really couldn't walk. So we would go into the pediatricians. They were thinking maybe he had juvenile onset of rheumatoid arthritis. And they would do blood work. And he was a chubby little kid. So that alone was traumatic to poke him. So um, turned out that this was like every couple weeks he would do this. And finally on the third week, his sedimentation, which is one of the markers for rheumatoid arthritis, had quadrupled. So they wanted to come in and do a bone biopsy on him. So he was inpatient. And while we were in there, we had everybody. It was a teaching hospital. So we had everybody's specialty and their residents doing head-to-toe physicals on him. And nobody could figure it out. They did his bone biopsy, and they said, we don't think it's anything until the next morning, his tummy hurt. And of course, with anesthesia, with anybody, then your um, peristalsis in your intestines shut down, and then you get gas pains and build up. So they did a simple ultrasound. And we're talking residents who had been poking on his belly and everything. Well, he had like a seven centimeter tumor on his adrenal gland. And then they did surgery. And when they did surgery... They diagnosed him with neuroblastoma, and at his diagnosis, he was stage four. They couldn't remove the tumor because it had entwined itself around his aorta and his vena cava to the point that it would have killed him. So he had to, and then it was in his bone marrow, in his bone, and in his lymph nodes. Wow. So he had to undergo uh, radiation and chemo until we could shrink that tumor back. And then they went in and they thought they removed like 99% of it. But back when he was diagnosed, the treatment for neuroblastoma, they were still trying to figure out the most, it's aggressive cancer. So they were trying to figure out the most aggressive form of treatment for him. So we were on a study. And our study uh, part was we harvested his bone marrow 
in LA, California. And that was to be kept for a bone marrow transplant because that was the ultimate. If none of the other treatments worked, then they would just do a bone marrow transplant. So he actually, he actually did okay with that. He was in remission for 18 months. Alan and I felt we're not going to put him through that if he's doing well right now because he's a child and we wanted him to be a little boy, period. We had already come to terms just in our faith that Alex had always been a gift to us. So with his cancer, we just, uh, in order for us to cope, you know, not, not knowing what his outcome would be, we had to consider that, well, he's God's gift to us. And if he goes back, then that's the way it is. So that helped us. And we, for 18 months, Alex was just a little boy, did everything, went back to school. He had two older sisters that, that were still at home and his life was good. And then when he went for one of his visits, just checkups, they found a spot on his femur again while well, his cancer had come back. So that at that point in time, we still had the bone marrow um, harvested and that was our ace in the hole. And we went off to the University of Minnesota in the dead of winter, which some <laughs> people find that intolerable. Yeah. But we were there and he had a bone marrow transplant with his own. It was his own marrow. So, and he did fine. So from the age of five on, Alex was cancer-free. He was very involved in anything to do with the cancer camps. We had uh, a couple children's cancer camps and siblings camps in Arizona that he was very active in, grew up in, became a counselor in training, and then a counselor. And he um, developed a whole other family. We all did support and family amongst those people. So, Yeah. Then he was, you know, he wasn't a complainer. And part of that was, I think he endured a lot. And so um, even when he was talking with his sister after they came back from California and she says, Alex, are you okay? He said, yeah, I think I just have a virus. I'm fine. And he was very, um, it's very important to him, you know, to go to work and be, he, he worked from the time he was 14. So he was a very good employee. Uh, you could count on him to pick up extra shifts or do whatever it was needed. He was a hard worker. So um, he didn't complain. And even when he called me, my husband called me another few times. He was too uncomfortable to talk. And his biggest concern was for me to stop crying and to reassure his boss, who had followed them to the hospital, that he would be at work tomorrow. Oh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's... That's amazing. Oh, so, so he was house sitting for your daughter, my daughter, and, and they were in California. Yeah, and I, I um, I had an eye on China earlier, and I've mentioned it before in other shows. My husband was there and got back from China in, it was October thirtieth. 2019. He had been there for 10 days for work. We have friends over there. We He knows people through his business over there. And when things started to really uh, ramp up in J January, basically the beginning part of January, we were texting them 
and, you know, finding out how they were and what was going on. But, you know, we had our eye on the news and I saw snippets of it in California and New York City and the Seattle area, because those are hubs in the United States. So he was house sitting for your daughter and got a cough. And then he was at work. You consider when you're a bartender, you're up front with people. People. Time people just passing through all the time, strangers, regulars, whatever. And Alex could bring anybody into conversation. That was one of his gifts. So he was, you know, I'm pretty sure he probably picked it up at work, or maybe person and Dave brought it home to him. But I, I don't think because he was had symptoms when they got back, and had they been exposed over, then they also got sick after that too. So perhaps they had COVID back in, like yeah, January. And there was no way really to test for it back then. There was no testing. And then even when they came about testing, there was so much um, misinformation or just confusion about who gets a test, who doesn't get a test. No. And trust me, working in a hospital, it, it was all just a big mess because we didn't know what to do with them. We didn't know, you know, I don't know. What do you do? You don't know. You don't have enough information. This is a new disease. It's a new, mm-hmm. it's, it's terribly scary. But. Yeah. Did you ever find out if anybody at his work got sick? No, I did ask and um, I did never got an answer that was clear cut for me. I, what I know of bartenders and just restaurants is they all have that, a computer portal where they touch the screen and put in the food and the orders. And if, you know, no one was concerned about cleaning those off at the time or wearing gloves, that, that would just be something everybody touched. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, he, when he went in, you know, he just deteriorated so fast. Mm-hmm. Like I, and they, I, I wasn't there. It's was just communication from my husband and then there, my other family members were there, but it's just like, there was no getting him out of that spiral. So he fainted at work or passed out at work and was taken by ambulance. And he actually wanted to go to your hospital, not the hospital that was closer. Right. He wanted to go to my hospital. There happened to have been a nurse in the restaurant that was able to uh, see him immediately and call 911. So that was another God's covering. And then he asked to come to my hospital and uh, even though there was a hospital in the same umbrella of where I work, that was closer to where he worked. But if he had gone there, we would have just been another person. We would have just been another trauma. And there would have been nobody to gather up my family and care for him. Yeah. Yeah. Can you give a timeline. I know you said it was very quick, but from the time you got to the hospital and you're in another state, you're in Colorado and he's in Arizona. Then I think there was only an hour difference. I'm pretty sure I got my call around seven 30 at night. And by nine 16, the next morning he was gone. Wow. That is, that's just so fast. It's, it's like it got into his body and just went everywhere. His lung, his left lung was full of clots mm. and, and his heart, I think he had clots in his heart too. So there was just, 
he would have had to, and if he had survived, well, code number three, had he survived that, he would have had to have a lung transplant in order to just live. And I wanted him to wait until I got there, but he didn't wait. So when I'm on the other end, and it feels like, you ever watched that Trains, Planes, and Automobiles, that movie? Oh, gosh, I haven't. <laughs> It's just, it's a comedy, but they're trying to get across country and they're doing it any way they can. And that's what it was like for us. I was trying to find book a flight for my son and my grandson. My daughter's in the um, Air Force or Air Army, but she couldn't leave with us. But my youngest son and, and his son, they needed to come back with me. Um, my husband just said, you guys need to come come now. And so... We had to, I think I made reservations with three different airlines. Finally, I was able to get a flight out of Denver, which was an hour and a half drive for Emily. And the day that we left, which was like the next morning, there was a blizzard, a whiteout blizzard in Colorado Springs in Denver. And Emily had never driven in snow and John wanted her to drive because she's going to have to drive herself home. So we just, you couldn't see the road. Um, and then she learned very quickly not to break. <laughs> and then on our drive there, I got a call that he had passed. So, oh, so then you all got on a plane and, uh-huh. wow. Yeah. And then when we got on the plane, of course, you know, we had to, pick seats and they were all the way in the back, but we flew Southwest mm -hmm. and um, thank God I had John midway through the flight. I finally called one of the flight attendants and I said, I need to ask a favor. I need when the plane lands, if they just let us deplane first. So he said, I'll see what I can do. And everybody waited. So you could get off and get where you needed to be. And I think one man, I'm sorry. It's okay. I remember one man stood up to like leave and his wife yanked on his sleeve and said, sit down. <laughs> so I just thought that was lovely for them to do that for us. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to make the assumption, but you had a funeral and did all of the things that were normal before COVID started. No, we weren't oh. we were going to do, we were going to do a celebration of life and we had it planned for March. Uh, his restaurant, his, his restaurant. I, and I don't know if it was like a week later, they wanted to do something just there for the employees because the employees and Alex had regular customers that this was a shock for them. Yeah. So the owner of the restaurant or Alex's boss wanted to do something then. And he invited us to that. And we had some friends that came, but for his celebration of life, it got right up to that weekend we were planning it. And then COVID shut everything down. Oh, so we I'm waited. glad I asked. Yeah. <laughs> so we waited, we waited until, um, the 20, the 23rd of October. 24th would have been his 30th birthday. He died in February and it was um, 
in October that we were able to to celebrate him. And then it turned out, you know, because we were going to do it then again at his restaurant, but it's funny because, you know, your life is uprooted and changes and, and you have to sort of try to piece back together and move forward. But it ended up, I, uh, we were very involved in church. The kids grew up in church and our churches, um, the boys were baptized there and it was just, so I'm helping at church one Sunday and I thought, oh, celebration of life. And it never occurred to me to check with them about that. Well, then it turned out that we could do it there. And actually the um, one of the assistant pastors was the one who baptized Alex in his backyard pool, like when he was a teenager. So um, it worked out really nice that we were able to do it there. And then, but that was, you know, it was just waiting, waiting. And, and then with COVID, it's like there's no, you know, when you have a funeral and then, then you work through the rest of it, although grief never ends. So that's just, that's just to be said, but at least you can start moving on. I've just felt with COVID every time I hear the numbers or every time it's like a scab that can't heal and it gets that, then you start bleeding again. Yeah. As it's always in some way to that. So, yeah, I, I, I know grief never ends and I, I understand that, but this is my mom. My mom passed away in August, 2020 from COVID. And this is my first time with grief. And it also, I, I told, it just lingers. This kind of grief lingers and there's so many reminders Mm -hmm. pressing in all the time. Right. Right. And, and especially with, well, you, you know, we weren't going to go into politics, but even within our family, we have those who don't, are anti-vaxxers or those who believe in the crazy stuff going on out there. And I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't deal with you. Um, we're not going to talk about this. Or even at work, you know, we would have people that would say, well, you know, because we, we were ignorant. We didn't know anything. So they just have their opinions. And I'm like, I'm sorry, my son died. I'm pretty sure it was from COVID. So I cannot talk to you about this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you work in a hospital. So hard to going back to work. Yeah. How has that experience been for you overall, just in the last year and a half, almost, well, I guess two years now. It's been two years now. And I went back I went back because of COVID. That's funny. You know, COVID took Alex, but then I went back to work because of COVID. And because there was stressors on the units um, with caring for these patients. So I felt like I needed to support the people that I worked with. And I went back um, maybe sooner than I needed to. The hardest part was walking to the fourth floor. Sometimes we have to, I'm a labor and delivery nurse. Sometimes we have to go to other parts of the hospital to listen to heart tones on pregnant women. And so I had to walk by the palliative care room, which is where Alex was. They kept him there. They had him all bathed. He was lying in a bed waiting for me to arrive. And my family was in there. So that was hard to walk by that room. And then shortly after we went down, we do, um, for our babies that die, we do these hand molds and foot molds for them, for the parents, because it's just 
something that is precious that they can keep. So then we started when we would have the patients die in the unit. We had young ones and and middle-aged ones, and they weren't all old and elderly and um, had other chronic conditions going on. There would be a couple of us that would go down and do hand molds for the adults so that we could give them to their family. And that was hard because the first time I went to the unit, I'm pretty sure it was the room that Alex died in. Mm. So, but then the other part of that is they did that for me. So I have these precious molds of my son's hands, my husband and I holding his hand, his siblings holding his hand. So that's something that I will treasure. Yeah. And then it's just, you know, I, and you probably felt this too, having conversations about your mom. It's hard, especially if somebody asks you and they don't know that she's died. Mm-hmm. Or they didn't know that Alex died and they'll ask me. Or, you know, patients, if I'm caring for a mom, she'll say, how many kids do you have? And then I'll say, well, I have four. And if they don't pursue it, I don't go into it. But then when they ask me about them, and then I'll tell them. And I've been, I've been better about having that conversation with people. And we had a, a mom deliver a, a while back and, and she, it was an emergency. It was traumatic. When she came out, I went in to see them and my, the nurse that was caring for them said that they had a, a more to the story that they had lost this baby's 17 year old brother to COVID. Oh, that they didn't know he had. Again, he had symptoms. He was 17, healthy. His dad was a football coach in a small town outside of of Phoenix. And this was um, his half-brother that his stepmom was delivering. And when I went in to talk to them, they had named the baby. Of course, I I have a grandson that has Alex as his middle name, and I have a great-grandson that has Alexander as his middle name. So this little boy's middle name was after his brother, Anthony. And he had just had some symptoms. And he told his dad he couldn't go help him. They had taken him to the pediatrician and they said, if it worsens, bring him back tomorrow. And then he went to sleep and never woke up. Wow. His dad came home, tried CPR on him. And it was all the aftermath and, and, and the donor network and all of that, that they discovered that he indeed had had COVID. which is probably something that they do now, which when donor network took Alex away, you know, they didn't know to test for any of that because they had no resources for it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was funny that we shared our, our grief was similar. And so we're friends now and we're, we'll be connected in this life until we're not in this life anymore. Yeah. 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 That whole thing of welcome to, the club you never wanted to be a part of. <laughs> never wanted, and it just keeps growing. But I've noticed that it's in, in atmospheres like this where you get the support that you need. Because I think in, in reality, you have those friends who will stick by you forever and those friends that get weary that you haven't been able to move on. But even though you're moving, just not maybe not quick enough. Yeah for them or they're just too uncomfortable with the whole conversation. But 
I want to honor his name every day. I want his, I want his death to mean something or to him to help others um, through all of this. Yeah, I think that some people in our lives uh, really do want to move on. And I'm using that specifically where, you know, we are moving. You and I are moving, others who've lost someone, and people are impatient with where they think we should be in our grief. Right. Right. Yeah, I've experienced that too. I I feel like I'm one of those people that I could talk about my mom all the time. You know, hi, my name is Jennifer. My mom died of COVID. That's (laughs) That's just the sentence they start out with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask you about your grief and how you've coped with it, especially as a year and now two uh, two years has gone by. What what have you done to cope with your grief and feel it and work on it? Well, I journal. When Alex had cancer. And we were in Minnesota. Well, even when we were here in treatment, I would write, you know, before the computers, I would write, handwrite updates. And then I would um, copy them and send them by mail to family and friends so that they would always be in the loop. So, and then I've kept those letters. And then, so when Alex died, I started, well, my, my Instagram is my grief journey. So that's where I will um, just write out my heart for the day or if something happened or if I went hiking and I found heart-shaped rocks that day or um, I, there's all of a sudden there's like a lesson that clicks in my head and I think, oh, that's just, that relates to Alex in so many ways. So that's how I manage. If I'm having a really hard day, I know I need to do my devotions and sit down and like write my heart. And people read it. And, you know, I get feedback all the time from it. And even my husband, who's not a, a computer whiz, but he does have Facebook and he does read my stories. He never comments, but he'll say to me, you know, are you... Are, are you going to, are you going to write any more of your stuff? Stuff like that. He says, I always, well, okay, let's backtrack a little bit. Alex had bought a house a year before he died. And my husband helped him. It it was about an hour's drive from us in a little town. Uh, And he's a lot, Alex was a lot like my husband. He was worked all day with people. So when he went home, he didn't really want to be around a lot of people. So they found a place kind of had two acres of land and he and my husband were fixing it up. And when my husband fixes up anything, it, it becomes a work of art. So they, and he would go down there and spend, like stay the night and spend time. So he had that precious year with Alex. He wasn't always working with him, but when Alex was there and helping him, they had that time together. So when Alex died, and then he inherited two cats from one of my doctor friends, because he wanted a dog. And I said, you know what? You work too much for a dog. What, what about a cat? So we had two kitties out there. And when he died, my knee-jerk reaction was, okay, we're just going to sell the house. You can just open the back door and let the cats out. I don't care. I don't want anything to do with that. And then my husband said, Joni, that's not what we're going to do. 
I'm going to finish what Alex and I started. So this is his grief journey. That's what he does. He goes down to, to Alex's house and he works and he is transforming that into the place that would have made Alex really happy. And then it turned out that this year, this summer, when I was visiting the kids in Colorado, they said, we're going to stay here after Emily's out of the army. And I said, if you're going to stay in Colorado, we're selling everything and we're moving. Mm -hmm. We sold our house last week. Wow. I know. In six hours, actually, we sold our house. It was my goodness. Now we're doing like inspection stuff and it's making my husband look crazy. So, and then we're going to move into Alex's house because it'll be two years in August that we would have owned that outright and then we'll sell it. Yeah. Now I wasn't able to go to Alex's house for that first year at all. I couldn't, I didn't want anything to do with it. And even the times that I did, I was like, I got to leave. It was just too hard. But now I'm going to live there. I'm going to live there for the next several months. And I said, maybe this is the full circle that he wanted us to have. So to come to with it before we move on and start a new chapter in a new state. Yeah. Yeah. Are the cats still there? Yeah. You know what? And that's another thing. We brought the the cats home. Uh, Well, this is funny too, because the cats, I think they were strays. They were brothers. They are kind of a a different breed of cat where they have like an extra toe on each of their front feet, almost like one has an extra whole extra hand on his paw. Um, And they're very, not very needy, but so Alex had them out there and they came from a really big house into a small house. And he says, mom, I think maybe I only have one cat. He says, I don't know where they are. I don't, I'll never see them. Well, they were hiders. And with that extra digit on their front paw, they had the ability to open up doors and go in, and then they would close the door behind them. So sometimes he would open a door and there would be a cat. And he said, oh, okay, I have both cats. And then eventually they would just come out and and got used to him and would um, hang with him and sleep with him at night. So they were his buds. So we brought the cats home and we have a barn and then they went to the barn. That's where they lived. So, and then I, and then we're, we have, well, we have animals, so we're going to have to move animals up North. But when we sold our house, we have an old blind goat that needs to stay here. (laughs) And we have a a bunny that needs to stay here. So the, the buyer said, yeah, we want them, but they wanted the barn cats. And I said, you can't have them. They're going with us. So when we were looking, my husband and I were up there last week and we were looking at houses and we must've looked at eight of them in two days. The first one I loved and I said, we need to put an offer on it. And then I woke up panicked, but it didn't have a barn. We need a barn. We have horses. So we need a barn. And it was at the top of our price range that we wanted to spend. And I woke up at like 2 a.m. panic saying, we can't because there's no place for the cats to stay. (laughs) So it was me who said, let the cats go out in the desert and be eaten by coyotes. And all of a sudden I'm turning down a house because there's no place for the cats. So I'm thinking, this is kind of comical. Yeah. Oh, they're going with us. They're going with us. Good. I'm glad. Uh, have you become part of the the COVID community with uh, memorials? Yes. And, okay. And and what have you done? Well, it's, I actually, uh, the Ramus, is it Ramus? 
Ramey's heart. Ramey's heart. Yeah, she posted Alex's story. And then I had a midwife friend who visited the, there was a COVID memorial in Washington with the flags, the little white flags. Yeah. And so she placed a flag for Alex and she asked me what she texted me and said, what do you want me to write on it? And so I gave her a little message to put on that. And then I believe he has a stone somewhere that, that they made for him. Mm-hmm. And overall you feel that the community has just been open and accepting of Alex. Or yeah. Of, yeah. Oh yeah. In fact, I was, um, and I don't know if you want me to read, you know, I told you Alex was um, part of the cancer community Mm -hmm. and loved it. And the other day, one of his old counselors had, um, she had posted something that she found that Alex had written for her. And he must have been, I was, he wasn't a counselor in training yet, but he was working on that. And I said, well, this sounds just like him. (laughs) But he wrote her this little note. And then they decided that maybe what they should do is get all the archives from camp in the past and do um, an Alex. Well, on Facebook, he went by Alexander Beaverhausen because he wanted to be anonymous. <laughs> he was just a crazy, funny kid. Um, he also one of his um, one of his April Fool's jokes to his friends as an adult young man was that he was a single father. He had a baby. He borrowed a, a friend's baby and took photos with it, and said that he had inherited the baby and the and the the baby's mother was in rehab and. He was going to raise this baby. So for, it must've been six months and I was in on it with him because I would just, you know, I played along for six months. His friends really thought he did. And then some of them were a little upset with him when they, when they found out that, no, it wasn't really that at all. Oh, wow. He sounds like a character. He's funny. He was just a funny guy. So, but this, to give you an answer, this was the, the tone of his voice. He, and his counselor was Camilla. And so he said, and he's like, you have to think he's 15 or 16. You are just the epitome of delight. You have a face, personality, and energy that I look forward to and miss each year. The day you leave camp behind is the day I will switch someone's baby in the nursery. Campers look up to you no matter how tall they are. I look forward to working with you as a counselor. And, and as a counselor within the next couple years, with deepest regards, sincerely, Alex Spain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. To say we miss him is an understatement. Yeah. What do you miss the most? Is there one thing in particular that you miss the most about him? He he would start every conversation with a, a a really awful joke. He would say, Hey mom, if you had a choice between like two extremely disgusting things, which would you choose? Riddles. He was a riddle guy and he loved games. We would have 
And then we would have game night and he would do family game night. But Alex liked games that required deep strategy and thinking. And he would try to pull me into those. And I'm like, I don't, I have no idea what's going on. So he would he used to be very patient and just, but yeah, that was his thing. He, he loved, he loved his family and he loved his friends and he had a whole dungeon and dragons crew that he ran. And uh, so his friends loved him. So that's the part that I love most because, you know, as a mom, you kind of keep your child, even though they're grown up in this whole, they're my child box. And you don't realize that they have different rooms of their lives that, that include other people. And maybe you'd never knew about that. So the, the stories that they share with me over time, that's what's special. When he died, it was, um, it was a few months later, I got a message from a girl that he was in grade school with. And I remembered her. I would go and help out in their classes all the time. And she was a little Hispanic girl, and she ended up moving back to Mexico. And she said, um, she started her message. She says, I'm not sure if I should be writing this to you, but I feel that I need to. She said, I had this dream and it startled me. I woke up crying and then I searched you on Facebook and then I found out that Alex had died. And then I realized that's why I had the dream. But she dreamt about Alex. He says, I think that he had a crush on me in like third grade. There was a Valentine that he put on my desk and then the biggest grin on his face when she read it. So um, she said, there he was, and we were in a crowd, and he was in his military clothes. He was in uh, ROTC at one point at uh, U of A. And she said, we were going through and talking, and he had a hold of my hand, and, and then all of a sudden I lost him. We were in a tunnel, and when I got out to the other side, there he was again, but this time he was dressed in a brilliant white. And he came up to me and he said, everything's going to be okay. And he gave me a hug and then he was gone. So I read that, I think a million times. Yeah. And I can imagine you love all your children, but he holds a special place in your heart because of what you went through together when he was a child. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in the room in my husband's office right now. And, you know, we've taken most of our personal belongings down, but his ashes are in here and there's pictures on the wall of the Phoenix Suns gorilla when he visited him at the children's hospital. And, you know, just like a gallery of childhood to adult pictures in here. So everywhere. Yeah. I want to switch gears just a little bit. Uh, you're in Arizona. Right. And I I kind of want to get your sense on how you felt about everything that happened regarding COVID in yeah. your state. I hated it. I hated it. You hated it. Can you talk a little bit about, about that? Well, it's just all, well, nobody, it's... Politics. It all boils down to politics and the narrative coming from the former person that was in the White House. 
uh, and then just, you know, this can't be real. And well, and then even at work, we would run out of stuff. So hospitals have Jayco that comes every year and tells you what you need to do and what you don't need to do and how you, and then they're upset because you have a water bottle at your station, <laughs> but we didn't have enough PEs, personal protective devices to, uh, so you wore your N95 for a week or more. Yeah. And you didn't have enough hat covers to go back to the OR. So all of a sudden the rules change. You can wear your own. So it was just like, oh my God, this is making me insane because all of a sudden we don't, we're just kind of piecing together care and not being consistent in anything. Because I work labor and delivery and, you know, some, a lot of our moms would come in, they would be sick. And in the beginning, there was not enough information about whether we should vaccinate pregnant women until we realized that once they get sick enough and you have to intubate them to deliver their baby, their chances of coming off the vent are decreased tremendously. So we lost a few moms to COVID in this past year and a half. And uh, that's very sobering Yeah, for everybody. So... And then we would float, uh, like when I got back to work after Alex died, and then we would have to float off the unit. If labor and delivery was slow, then we would go to another COVID floor, and we would be their runner. Or we would sit and answer phones, or if the lights went off, we would go down. And so I got to the point where if the light went off, I would just go put my PEE on, and I would go in the room because those people are isolated in there. And just to have a human touch them or talk to them. That's what they needed because they weren't allowed visitors. You were the, the human face that they saw for that day. So I just felt like I owed it to them to go in and show a little kindness. Yeah. Even though I hated floating, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. That's uh, when I think about my mom, that is the, one of the questions that I have that'll never be answered. She was deaf in one ear and was hard of hearing, and she'd always red lips her whole life. So, so mouse impossible. Yeah, she couldn't. She didn't know what anybody was saying because she couldn't read their lips, and she had Alzheimer's. I can't imagine what the end of her life was like. And I, I know that she died alone. I also wonder if. Somebody went in and sat with her and held her hand. Yeah. Yeah. I lost my mom three months before Alex died. Um, Oh, my gosh. Trust me. You'd have to know my mom. She was just shy of her 94th birthday, and and she was frankly done. And she would get so upset when somebody else in our family would die, and she would say, it was my turn. (laughs) So she lived in an independent, like uh, you could independent or assisted living facility. Um, my dad had passed away before my youngest son was born. So she'd been a widow for quite some time. And she, she was just hysterical. She would, um, she would tell me, uh, she just, she wanted to be, well, we had a conversation. First it was like, okay, mom, she always wanted to go to the ER. So, uh, 
if you, if, do you want, do you want them to do heroics on you? There was one day where I said, you really do need to go. The firemen need to come and get you. But let me ask you this again. If this is your last day on earth, do you want it to be? Or do you want them to work very hard to keep you here? She says, I'm ready. So, but she stayed, she came home and then she uh, figured out if she just stopped eating, she could get into hospice. Mm. Didn't realize she was, we, we worked that. We even in, interviewed with hospice. No, she's too healthy for that. Maybe palliative care. No, she's too healthy for that. And then she just kind of stopped eating. And then one day I took my scale with me and weighed her. And I said, oh my God, mom, you've lost 10 pounds in a month. And then she perked up. I have? Well, that was a way she could get into hospice. So that's what she did. So we had we had hospice, and they would come and see her. And then Emily was graduating from uh, boot camp, and she was in South Carolina. And, you know, I talked to my mom. And my mom was hard of hearing, too. But when I was whispering on the phone, canceling an airplane trip I had planned, she could hear my whispering across the room. <laughs> so, yeah, she was, she was, yeah, she was a funny girl. But I told her, I said, no, I'm going to go to her graduation and then I'll be back. And when I come back, we had arranged for a group home with like eight women. One of them she knew that had a spot for her. And I said, we're moving in there because you cannot just be in your apartment, in your Barco lounger and die here without anybody around you. So no, that's not going to happen. So I had arranged, I had friends, I had my husband, we had the hospice people, so she had somebody every day with her. And then I get a call when I'm still in South Carolina that the one little aide had come in and she says, um, we just sent your mom to the hospital. And I said, you know, she's a do not resuscitate, right? It's on her refrigerator. And she says, oh, yeah, right. I said, okay. I'm, I, so I called the ER and I said, my mom's coming over there. She's coming by ambulance. So she'll get in the back door. Um, she's a DNR. And the nurse said, oh, don't worry. We'll just give her some fluids. I'm sending my husband. And so he took her back home and tucked her in. And when I got home the next night, I went to see her. And it wasn't Sunday, but she knew on Sunday she was going. And so when I walked in her door, she says, is this Sunday? I said, yeah, Mom. She says, I don't want to go. And I said, I know, but we can't stay here. So she went. She got tucked in her bed and she was there two days and she died. Oh. So it was a sheer will on her part where she went and she went down to eat. And the next morning she went to breakfast and her friend visited with her. And then the, the next morning the uh, caregiver couldn't wake her up. So we went in and then it was my brother had time to get to Arizona from Pennsylvania and and we just sat there and I, she was hard of hearing. So I just cranked up the church music and put it next to her ear. And we talked and, you know, or I talked, I guess she, and that was the only time I guess I could have her a, a single audience of her and listening and not interrupting me. But yeah. And then she just went to sleep, took her last breath. So I, um, pretty sure she greeted Alex full throttle when he entered, entered heaven. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That gives me comfort too that my mom's parents I uh, just I just sent out a I don't pray very often, but I just sent out a prayer when I knew that it was bad for her where she was that they 
they were there with her because I couldn't be. Right. Right. My work gave me wind chimes for her. Uh, these beautiful, it's almost like organ music that you hear in, in these big, big cathedrals. So they are in the tree in the backyard and sometimes they will just play with no wind. <laughs> and I just, so when they do, even my grandson would say, oh, that's, that's, um, he calls her, what do you call her? That's old grandma. He called her old grandma. Oh, that's funny. Her old grandma. He says, oh, old grandma's talking to me. <laughs> and then I have a niece who uh, she actually gets visitations from people who have, or dreams about people who have died that she may not even know. And she's had that ability for some time. But after Alex died, well, first of all, when my mom died, she wanted to come see me about, oh, three months later. And she said, she had a, a baby that I helped deliver. She says, Max wants to see his Aunt Joni. And I said, okay, come on out. That wasn't her her uh, purpose for a visit. She said, I had a dream about your mom. And I said, you did. And she said, yeah. She said she was like with a group of people. Some of them I knew, some of them I didn't. One of them was Alan's mom who had passed away a couple years prior. And uh, they were laughing and they were having a good time. And then she said, your dad came over and he sat down next to her and took her hand. Mm. So I'm like, that's all I needed. And then she had a dream about Alex. And so when she came out, she told me, she said, Pine Top was a, a mountain town that um, Alex's grandparents had a cabin. So every summer we would make several trips back and forth from there. And the kids always had a great time. So uh, that was, and they had a big golden retriever named Sonny that loved on those kids. And so she says he was at Pine Top. We were at Pine Top. And I could hear him laughing. He had the best laugh. And I could hear Sonny. And I knew that Grandma was inside making pancakes or something. But that he was fine. Oh, I don't, I had one dream about him. And it was basically that we just had a conversation. And he was, you know, it's like a, hey, Mom, what do you think? And But it wasn't anything earth-shaking. But I would love to have dreams of him. But I don't. Yeah. You have dreams of him? I've had a couple dreams of my mom. The The one I remember most vividly, I had opened a door to a room and she was standing there and she said, hi, Jen, which my mom didn't know my name for the last few years, Right, she was alive. So that got me in the dream. She gave me a huge hug and then she said, I have to go to work. <laughs> and she got on a little moped, which she actually used to have. Okay. And she tootled away around the block and that was my dream. And I woke up and I started crying so much because of the hug and then hearing her voice. But it was good tears. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, can I just go back to sleep and, and pick up right where I left off? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I have this bunny. Alex had, well, the boys both had the same bunnies. Like they had them for Easter one year, but when Alex went through cancer treatments, that bunny went with him. And so that bunny kept him from being sedated when he would have um, CAT scans or MRIs because all he would do is just worry the silky part on the ear. He would hold very still at two and three while they did his, their tests on him. And then he would just worry that. Um, so that bunny I found when we were going through things. And then when we were talking about, cause Alex was cremated when we were talking about 
what do we want to send? They said, you can, you can cremate anything you want with him. They suggested the bunny. I said, absolutely not. That bunny gave him strength. That bunny's mine. Yeah. So it's weird that a 67 year old woman would sleep with a bunny. That bunny sleeps with me at night. And whenever I travel, the bunny travels with me. And even my grandson, I gave him his daddy's bunny. So he even says, grandma, did you bring the bunny? You know, so they know. Yeah. Did you experience or do you feel a difference in your grief between losing your mom three months before Alex and your grief with Alex? Is there, is there a difference that you feel? Oh, a big difference. My mom was more of a celebration because she had lived 94 years. She had an awesome life. She was ready to go. She wanted to go. And even though, you know, you always need your mom and I would, in fact, the the wind chimes are perfect because that's my phone line to her. I would call her once or twice a day and see her two or three times a week. So that part is hard that I just don't have access to her anymore. But it was more of a celebration and um, she was ready. And I know that, but Alex was not, that was just to rip my heart out. Yeah, so unexpected and so fast. Yeah, yeah, can't grasp it even now. Yeah, yeah. So I have one last question that I ask everybody, and that is, what do you say to people who tell you COVID isn't real? I pretty much I'm a blunt person, so I'm pretty much well. My son died of COVID, so it is as real as it gets to me. It's very real to me. Well, and there were a few people at his celebration. I mean, uh, we have family members, like nieces and nephews and and in-laws that don't believe that COVID's real. And when the celebration came about, I'm pretty much not really paying much attention. I'm trying just to get through the day. But there were some of my uh, close family members that, weren't masked, even though it, masks were required at that point in time. And they were, it's very obvious that they, well, I, I thought we were, no, they didn't want to, but then I think, I don't even know if they did, but it was, it was kind of an insult that I just went over my head that they ignored those rules, not believing in that. But, you know, I don't know. I just say I, COVID is as real as it gets because until you lose somebody to it, it will never be real to you. And God forbid that you do lose somebody to it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the double-edged sword, isn't it? Yeah. You don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And, and just because you don't want to be vaccinated or you don't want to do this, that's just selfish, egotistic behavior on your part. Because trust me, you wear a seatbelt when you get in the car. You don't take a chance and go through um, the stop sign because it's the law, I remember being held by my hand and drinking that polio vaccine when I was a child and getting the uh, smallpox vaccine in my arm. We couldn't go to school unless we had those. And I'm pretty sure schools still require vaccinations and exemptions. And then the other part that ticked me off was when uh, you know, we're required to get a flu shot every year. We're required to have our um, uh, uh, tetanus, um, diphtheria, vax boosters updated. 
So when they wanted us to get the COVID vaccine, then you all of a sudden, we have all these people who are like, oh, I'm not going to get that. I'm not going to get Because there was, you know, maybe there's fetal parts in there or something from aborted fetuses. Guys, I don't know what to tell you. Just do it. But so we, you know, and then there was religious exemptions. And then I'm like, I don't know. You know, so I get really, now I just pretty much become quite, well, if they bluntly ask me, I'll say my piece, but I, it's just, some people are stupid and you're going, they're always going to be that way. And I cannot waste any more energy on you. So yeah. I wear my mask and sometimes I still even wear it in the grocery store. It depends. I don't know. But yeah, I don't, I just, and I think it'll eventually become where it's just, you get a flu shot every year, you get a COVID vaccine every year. Hopefully that will be, but it has been two years of horror and it's no longer up front in the news because we are warring in Ukraine, but COVID's still a thing. Yeah. Many people want it to not be a thing and well, they want... Inconvenient thing. When you have people in power that belittle teenage kids at a press conference because they have their masks on, that that's upsetting to me. That why, why can you do that? Just let them be. Yeah, I saw that too. I have somebody who I'm going to be interviewing who is from Florida, which would be my first oh, Florida that would be a question. I try, I, I think, you know, initially when I started this podcast, I was feeling very political, but it was also June of 2021. Right. And, and, and the tone has changed. And it's so the, tremendously, which I think has taken a lot of the, uh, I don't know, the, Oh, the back and forth, the, the meanness out of it. It's now just, these are our numbers. We're going to provide this for you. And it's not, it's, it's not a competition anymore. It's just this, we need to manage this. Yeah. A year ago, there was so many states with so many different. Make up their own. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, you know, there was places like Arizona, I kind of viewed as the wild, wild west, <laughs> Arizona and Texas. And so it, it's just initially I, I felt very much like I wanted to dive into each state and the politics. Mm-hmm. And, and now I don't so much. I, the divisiveness and the separation and the way people feel like they need to be on one side or the other, I really just want to let that go and move forward and have it be more about the people and their families and that they're not just a number and that they were important. They were and are loved. And that's what I want it to be about. Exactly. Yeah. I agree so much with that. And uh, even with our family, we recently I had a a sister-in-law that just said, you know, she kind of disappeared from, I mean, she just lives very close to me, but she disappeared for a while. And finally I asked her, I said, why have you withdrawn from me? She says, well, I'm kind of on my own grief journey. Uh, and it's, it was a political driven one because none of the rest of her siblings agreed with her politics and she didn't like the um, discussion or the, the crossover or the back and forth, the bantering. So she didn't like that. So she said, I'm just going to withdraw. And so she's actually removed herself from all of us. And I don't know that she'll come back. 
I said, just give me the truth, Lisa. I don't really care. I just would rather have the truth rather than manufacture something in my mind. Yeah. And so she said that. I said, I'm sorry. And I told her once, if you take time, that's fine. But don't take too much time because it's going to be hard to rebuild bridges if you do that. Yeah. And then it's grieving. It's grieving a loss of another person that you really cared about and was important to you. So it's like I've lost a sister in addition to a mother, in addition to my son. So, so it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to Colorado. Maybe Maybe it's better there. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you hike, but if you do, there's a beautiful trail around pulpit rock in Colorado Springs, the rock. We're moving to Colorado Springs. It's one of my favorite places in the world, but that, that pulpit rock hike was a lot of fun. We went all the way to the very top and sat at the very top of the rock. But if that's not your thing, because it is quite a cliff looking down, there's a beautiful trail that winds around it and you can see it. Okay, I'm going to look I'm gonna look that up. Yep, it's beautiful. It, it was a it's, place I went and I sat there and I thought about my mom because I used to live in Colorado Springs when I was little with my parents. You did? I did. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can look at those mountains every day. I mean, mm-hmm. There's just something about being there. That and the fact that my youngest grandson is 14 months and like he runs into my arms. Yeah. Yeah. And he looks so much like Alex. His mannerisms are so much like Alex that just looking in his face, I have Alex. Yeah. Yeah. And those grandkids are real medicine, aren't they? They're yeah. the best. Of pulling you back to the present mm-hmm. and nothing else seems terrible. For those moments that you have them. And Paxton and I have great conversations. We'll talk about heaven and we'll talk about Alex. And he's got a, John married a woman who, who lost a brother at 17 to an overdose. So she understands that. Uh, her family understands that. So, you know, we talk about that all the time. And so we have conversations. So it's good. 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 Well, thank you. Thank you for today. Well, thank you, Jennifer, for being patient with me trying to figure this out. Oh, yes. No worries. No worries. We got it done, and here we are. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. You have a great day. And that's the show, everyone. If you've lost a loved one to COVID and would like to share your story on the show, please send me an email. My email address is for those we lost podcast at gmail.com. This show won't ever have a members area or episodes that you have to pay to listen to, but there are expenses to hosting a podcast. And if you'd like to help, you can support this show at buymeacoffee.com backslash for those we lost. The link is in the notes below. If you like this episode, please share the show, share it with your friends, Share it on your social media, and once you've done that, rate and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform, and then go rate it on Apple Podcasts, because that's where most of our new listeners come from. Ratings and reviews are the main way this show finds new listeners. So please, share the show. Until next time.